Yesterday, there were about 30 people here involved in decorating the church, and some people love the decorating part. In fact, I know one woman in the church who starts her plans in August. Um, That seems a bit overdone, but she confided that in, in me, and I'm not telling her name, but if you want some early decoration help, I will I will give it to you. In general, I love Christmas. I just wish it wasn't so busy. And and it's busy because we add all these other things that are our favorite parts. Some people like shopping, and they do a whole lot of shopping. That will never be my favorite. Some like baking. Well, baking's great, but I would rather do the eating. So eating is one of my favorite parts of Christmas. Many of us love singing the great carols of Christmas, many of them written in about uh, the 1800s, early 1900s. Wonderful part of our Christmas celebration. And others of us will love the parties and the gatherings that we go to and the people we get to spend time with. This year, for us, for example, it's going to be very busy because we will have two Christmas Eve worship services that will sort of add to our demands. Uh, This year for us, It is the alternate year in which our children are both bribed and threatened to either be with us or be written out of the will. It means demands on a lot of things. It will mean demands on our home, demands on our boiler. It will mean greater expenses for the month. It will mean more shopping for food and for gifts. It will mean more stress and more uh, touchy interpersonal dynamics in our relationships as a family. But it will hopefully also mean great memories for years to come. This Christmas, I would love to add to your season by giving you more of Jesus to rejoice in and helping you make that your favorite part of Christmas. And to do that, I will be focusing on the names of Jesus that we use when we sing the carols about him or we read the Christmas story. There are about seven names or titles that are used to introduce who Jesus would be. And many of them are introduced with the word because. You see, he's given a title because the title has a meaning behind it. It has a meaning that gives some promise, some prophecy that Jesus fulfills. Now, how do we name our children? Well, often we name our children because there's a history or a name in our family history behind it. And so we give that name because we had a great uncle or a, 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 a wonderful person in our family line. Maybe there was some event that spurred you to think about the name. But usually we just think of names that sound good at the time. I don't know if you've kept up with this, but did you realize that now there are common names, in fact the most common names for children are names that I never heard of growing up. Can I just give you some of these for girls? I knew one Olivia in my entire lifetime growing up. But for girls now, the most five common names are Emma, Olivia, Sophia, Ava, and Isabella. They're gorgeous. What happened to Mary? She's not up there. How about guys? You ready for this? Liam. 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 Okay, followed by Noah, Mason, Ethan, and Logan. There's some Ethans here, and that's wonderful, but believe me, I never knew an Ethan when I was growing up. 
I haven't met a lot of gyms 10 years old lately, okay? Well, the, the idea is that sometimes what influences the names that we give to our children, what influences them will be things like, I like the name. It sounds good. It's, it's very popular now. Maybe even there's a family history to the name. My great-grandfather had this name. My middle name was named after my great-grandfather. I never repeat it, but it's there on my driver's license. It's there on my passport. It's there on my birth certificate. I have that name. What we are talking about, though, is not just it sounds good. We're talking about it means a lot. Not only does it have a deep meaning that you need to know, You also need to be aware that it can affect your lives and your lives can be different because of them when we know that Jesus fulfills that name. So today, this first Sunday of Advent, we're looking at Emmanuel. Some of you spell it with an I. God spells it with an... No, he does not. Some of you spell it with an E. It does not matter. But most of us know it means God God is with us. But you need to know in the specific realm, in the specific situations in which this name is being used. It's only three times in the entire Bible. Twice in Isaiah and once in Matthew. It never comes up again. But how many of the songs do we sing focus on that name, Emmanuel, or God with us? So let me take you back. This is not meant to be a history lesson, but to understand it is going to take a little bit. This name comes up, first of all, in a world of danger. Here's what happens. There are four, uh, you might say, major players in the Middle East. Now there's only 15, okay? And and, and in those four players at this time, about 700 B.C., uh, there is Babylon, known as the Assyrian Empire, Baghdad, known as the Assyrian Empire, Samaria, known as Israel, and Judah, where the center is, uh, is Jerusalem. And those four are always interplaying, forming alliances or whatever. Well, it comes up that now there is a threat that is made on this king of Judah named Ahaz. And I want you to know, as kings go, Ahaz doesn't rise to the top. He barely scrapes off the bottom. He's not a great king. He's he's not there in the realm of David and Solomon. But this is what has happened. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram and, Pe- and, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of, I'm pretty good at those names, aren't I? Of Israel marched up right uh, to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, meaning Israel, so their hearts, uh, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Two kings form an alliance. And what they're trying to do is get this third king, Ahaz of Jerusalem and and Judah, to come in with them so they can attack the fourth king up there in Babylon. So it's filled with alliances. And, and, And King Ahaz says, I don't want to do that. So those two kings say, well, then we'll attack you and make you do it. And they actually go through the process. It doesn't work, but that's what they do. So Ahaz is faced with this issue. Well, if these two kings are coming against me and I can't stand against them, what do I do? Well, there's a fourth king out there. He's in Babylon. So I will form an alliance with him. 
and it'll be two against two. The only problem is, is the Babylonian king, he's not reliable. He's out for himself. Uh, and, and, and again, the whole issue is complicated. Not simple like the Middle East is today. <clears throat> it's extremely complicated. And in essence, what Ahaz is facing is a bunch of bad options. None of them are good. There's no good ones. There's just only a few less dangerous ones. You face situations like Ahaz in which you say, am I going to just choose the lesser of evils? Some of you are already talking about next year's election that way. Shame on you. Oh, I did that. Sorry. You know, we look at the political realm and we say, well, what are we going to do? This won't work and this won't work and this won't work. And, and here's really what's being faced. He, he, the entire people and this king, it's a people with no good choices. It just doesn't any of them seem to work. Here's what this uh, average or less than average or below average king is facing. He can align with Syria and Israel, and that will mean that they will not invade him, but he'll have to you know, take Judah into war with Babylon. And Babylon is a rising power. Or second, he can align with Babylon... And, and Ahaz would then seek uh, that king for help. But that king may not come on time. He may not come at all. So Isaiah says there's a third option. And it's God's option. And I want you to know, friends, God has other options. That's how we get the name Emmanuel. Yes, every option is bad. But guess what? God has another way. And God will consistently do that to people who are in distress, to those who are following him, those who trust him. You see, what Ahaz is facing is his, uh, his, you might say, nation is in decline regionally. It has continually lost uh, precedence and power. And what's, what's even worse is his people are in decline spiritually and he's leading it. So in this nation of decline, both politically, militarily, uh, and also spiritually, that it's not trusting God, uh, God says, I want to give you a third option. I want you to come back to me. And he says, uh, Isaiah goes to him, he says, I want you to seek God for the answer. Seek God, King Ahaz, for the answer that God has for you. Now, who ever heard of a king or a political or military leader asking God to give advice? If they do, today they don't talk about it. But Isaiah encourages the king Ahaz, encourages King Ahaz, just don't ask. Ask for a sign because God wants you to hear him so deeply that he'll even give you a sign of confirmation. Now Ahaz does not want to consider option three, that God has a different answer. He says this in verse 12. But Ahaz said, oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. What Ahaz, I'm going to sort of bring that up to date, reading into his heart. I've already made my decision and God's not in it. That's essentially what he's saying. Why bring God in at a time like this? What I'm going to do is I'm going to align with the king of Babylon. And we together will defeat uh, these other two kings. Well, in essence, what he is saying is this. Uh, I want God's protection. I really want God's protection. 
but I really don't want God's direction. I want his blessing. I just don't want his leadership. God can bless me as much as he wants, as long as he doesn't tell me what to do. Welcome to the human condition. And this is what he's trying to do. Ahaz doesn't want to say in public, I don't trust God. uh, But essentially, he's already said, I don't trust God. So now we come back a little bit to verse 9 because he says, both of these other kings are in decline too. You just don't see it. Both of these other kings are smoldering wicks. They will soon be extinguished. They don't have a future with them. In fact, within 65 years, one of the whole nations would disappear. All of Israel would be sent into exile. So even though this prophecy is given, now Isaiah stands up and he says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Wow. What a line. You usually think of Isaiah as saying, oh, God is great, God is wonderful, he's going to send this one. Now he just looks at King Ahaz and says, it's now or never. Painter, get off the ladder. If you don't stand now, you'll never stand again. You will lose your kingdom if you don't stand now. And he did not. Where are you? We all want God's protection. We all want God's blessing. Are we willing to say we also want his direction and his leadership? So Ahaz says, oh, I won't ask God for a sign. And then Isaiah steps up and said, okay, you didn't ask. God's going to give it anyway. And here's where this prophecy comes in. He says, God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. Now, that's a miraculous sign. That just doesn't happen every day. It's only happened once, never going to happen again. Uh, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. That's not necessarily a miracle. And will call him Emmanuel. Now, you can call your children anything you want. But this was the only first time that it seems to have come up in all of Scripture Twice in Isaiah and only once later in Matthew. So this is a spiritual reality of something that is probably not going to be totally fulfilled now. But it truly is a miracle because that's the name that people would be trusting. And they were waiting on this one called Emmanuel because it means God would be with us. Not just protecting us or blessing us, but God is with us. Fast forward with me now, 700 years. This is not about kingdoms or whatever, because you're probably thinking, I haven't ruled a kingdom in decades. I'm not the king. I'm not a person in great power. How does this affect me? You know, I I don't see myself as having great influence uh, over many people. I'm not even seeking to be powerful. I just like to do my business, uh, get done with my life, uh, have it go well. So how does this affect me if I don't seek to be rich and powerful? 700 years later, a man named Joseph is faced again with a very difficult decision. There's no good options. They're all bad. His fiance, the one to whom he's engaged, is pregnant. And he knows he didn't do it. He can honestly say, not me. Though the rest of the town would say, oh, really? Then who? The options are terrible. Legally, though it wasn't practiced much, he could have Mary stoned. That's a bad option. 
So the other option would be, because he didn't want anybody's death just because, you know, <laughs> she uh, sort of took away his pride. That's not worth a death. That's not the type of person Joseph was. So the next thing he could do is he could break the engagement. And and even though he would have a short-term loss of uh, of his reputation, he could break the engagement. He would send her away. She would probably go away to a family member in another town, have her baby, and maybe never come back. And over a period of time, um, um, you know, Joseph would be known as a guy who really is not good at picking women. Joseph would be a guy who says, uh, uh, yes, I, I thought she was virtuous, but there's something about me that made her desire another man. Uh, Joseph would be known as a woman loser. <laughs> it's not a good reputation. So those are the options, and they're both terrible. They both do not, do not work well for Joseph. So Joseph goes to sleep. He's already made his decision. I will break the engagement. That's called a divorce in, the, in those days. I will break the engagement. I will send her away, and I'll just get on with my life until he goes to sleep that night when the Lord speaks to him through an angel. And this is what it says in, um, in Matthew 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In a gazillion years, Joseph never would have come to that conclusion. And neither would we. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save many from their sins. Jesus means God saves, God is Savior. He will save many people, not like saving a kingdom. He will save his people from the penalty of their sins. So what what is being told to him is, don't worry about your reputation. And by the way, don't worry about your reputation. I've lost mine so many times, you know, and it never comes back. Don't worry about that. Um, instead, be concerned with God's option number three. You see, Emmanuel goes beyond just saying that God loves for me and God care, loves me and God cares for me. Emmanuel is God's promise that He has a better way than any way that a human can create. His way is better than any human way. Emmanuel is the name of Jesus for those who are desperate because their only options are bad ones. Emmanuel is the name where you say, well, I hear God's option. I don't care for it, but it's still God's option. And maybe over the long long term, it will work out. You see, it is at Christmas time that we use the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, that God is with us. But what it means is that as we walk into any situation in which we are perplexed, frustrated, confused, desperate, we understand that God walks with us there also. Have you ever shouted at God? Some of you would think that's very um, disrespectful. Some of you say, I don't shout in my home. Why would I shout at God? I would like you just to think of this for a bit. When you are looking at a series of bad options and you're wondering what should I do and you want to bring God into it, have you ever just said, Lord, what do I do? 
or even get louder. Lord, what do I do? What you ought to shout is, I'm claiming Emmanuel. I'm claiming this name today because everything else doesn't seem to be working. I'm claiming in my desperateness, in my frustration, even my anger where it seems like God is not showing up. I am claiming Emmanuel. I am going to trust God for a heavenly option that is superior to all human options. But I don't know what it is right now. By the way, the option that God gives may not be easy. In fact, I've often found it is not. But it will be amazing. And you'll see his handprint on it. In 2012, one of my heroes of the faith passed away. If you are under 40, maybe this name doesn't mean much to you. His name was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a special counsel to President Richard Nixon, also which may not mean much to you, but he means a lot to me. Um, and, And Chuck Colson was not just special counsel. He was special. What do I mean by that? He was a trained Marine, uh, trained in warfare. He added on to that a law degree. Boy, now that's a combination, right? So he added that law degree, and when he became special counsel, it means that he reported only to the president, and President Nixon used him for things that the rest of his staff would refuse to do. Either legally or ethically, they said, we cannot do that. So Chuck was the master of dirty tricks for the president that they called Tricky Dick. In the election for Nixon's second term, Chuck was quoted to say, I would walk over my own grandmother to win this election for Richard Nixon. Now, the press took that even further. It showed him driving a car, and there was his mother on the road behind the car as they went by. It was really good the way they they did that, but he won. And one of the ways that he won was by Chuck Colson disseminating derogatory, denigrating, and sometimes and sometimes false information about somebody on the enemies list. He was not a Watergate man, but somebody on his on his enemies list. And so that because of that information going out, the the um, the press gave him uh, less. You might say, wait. He became a lighter witness for what was going on in the White House. But what came out of this is that, though he was one of Nixon's enemies, at least he testified. And uh, then Chuck Colson, because of his testimony, was facing charges of obstruction of justice. Well, during the time in which he was preparing what to do, and every option was bad that I'll, I'll explain in just a minute, he started to have personal talks with the president of, at that time, president of Raytheon, who led him to faith in Jesus Christ. The book he wrote about that is called Born Again. Happened in about 1975. Book came out about 1978. Uh, Now that he is a Christian, Chuck faces a new option. What are those options? Well, what his lawyers are saying is plead not guilty. We think we can get you through this. We think, yeah, you, you know, your reputation will be lost, but you won't do any jail time. You won't be convicted of a felony have any felony. But his lawyers also say, you may lose, and if that, you go to jail, you lose your license, and he goes, look, I, 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 these two options aren't very good. And so what Chuck says is, I'm looking at a third option. You know what? I did obstruct justice. I'm going to plead guilty and go to jail. 
not found guilty, I'm going to plead guilty. Well, there goes any future you have in politics. Yeah, because there's no, there's no nefarious people in politics as we know. Uh, I've got another one I'm going to share on Easter with you that's just outstanding. But, you know, you have no more future in Washington, D.C. You won't even be able to be a lobbyist that'll be listened to. Okay. But instead, what he does is he pleads guilty. He gets a three-year sentence, of which he serves seven months in prison. He does lose his legal license. And you might say, well, what is he going to do now? What is he going to do now? Let me tell you what he did. In those seven months of prison, he took God's option and won many others to faith in Christ while in prison. Once he got out of prison, he writes 30 books to encourage faith in Jesus Christ. I've only read 23 of them. He was my mentor through books for over two or three decades. He was outstanding. He gave a voice to the faith that was amazing. Finally, he starts a ministry to prisoners that is the most successful program in terms of the least going back into prison that has ever been invented, and it's Bible-based. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And the last thing he did is he started a center for the study and promotion of the Christian worldview that is still, even after his death, turning many away from secular from a secular worldview. A ministry to prisons, a ministry to the intellectuals that goes on after his death. Did he choose the right option? Did God go with him in what he chose to do? Did God honor that choice, even though it turned out to be extremely costly in the human realm, not necessarily in the uh, heavenly realm? That's what we need to be looking at. You mentioned Chuck Colson's name today, and rarely does politics get mentioned. Instead, just Jesus. God's option meant having a record of a felon, but a reputation of a voice for Jesus, and an influence in this life and in the next that has touched probably millions and millions of people. Was God's option a good one? You can nod your head and say, yes. Yes, Jim. Good option. Good option. Get okay, Yes. Where do you go when all the options seem bad? What do you do? Do you yell Emmanuel at the situation and just wait and trust God? I'd encourage you to do that as you think that word. Because this word is very specific. It's for the desperate. The desperate and desperate situations. where the, the, All the human options just don't seem to work. Where do you go when you have that? And, and often all the options seem bad. Hey, if you watch um, advertisements today on new medications, do you ever watch those? They're about a minute long and 30, 30 seconds of it is. Now, if you use this, this could happen. I was watching one on diabetes, and I'm sort of playing with this a little bit, so it's not exactly what it says. But I was watching one on a di- new diabetes medication, and it was saying like uh, something like this. You may, uh, you may experience an allergic reaction that will kill you. You may lose consciousness and die. You may go bald, insane, or walk in your sleep and get run over by a bull moose at Grand Lake. 
as you hear what they're saying, you go, why would I take it? Why would I ever take that chance? I'll stick with diabetes. Thank you very much. The options all seem bad. And yet, I want you to know that as Ahaz was a loser, Joseph and Chuck Colson were winners because they could trust Emmanuel, that God was with them in a rotten situation. And God is with you in every rotten situation. He has better plans than all of your human ones, and you just need to be waiting on him and find out what he does. I don't think in a gazillion years Chuck would ever say, I'm going to write 30 books about Jesus Christ until he met Jesus Christ. I'm never going to start a prison ministry until he realized people in prison are open to Jesus because he was there. Let's talk about some options that maybe you're facing today. Seniors, when do you decide you cannot live independently? When's that time going to be? When do you decide that's maybe even harder because many of you can take, you're not living independently, but when do you decide that your spouse, your ailing spouse, needs assisted living? Before you die. Shout Emmanuel. Just shout it as you find yourself making these decisions. They may seem like unwanted options, but I just want you to know God is with you. We have parents with special needs children. You did not pray for that, but you have that child, and that child needs extra care, extra involvement, extra finances for the rest of their lives. Yes, the government is doing far more here than anywhere else in the world, but you need to shout Emmanuel. God is with you. He will show you ways that human ways uh, don't even touch. We have people facing legal threats, sued for damages, uh, and, and, you know, and you realize that if this person wins, the, the sum is way beyond my insurance, way beyond my own resources. And, and your lawyer has said, hey, it's a slam dunk, you cannot lose, but I need a really big retainer to begin with. And you realize that's a bad option, too. Shout the name Emmanuel. Shout his name in faith and understand that you were willing to pray and you were willing to say, God, show me and I will do your will. Whatever the loss of my reputation and pride, just put those things aside. If you haven't lost them now, you will lose them soon enough. And put aside your well-thought plans and say, God, will you step in and do something beyond all of my imagination, something beyond all the options I have thought of, something beyond my advisors? Will you, Emmanuel, be with me as I go through this? Never thought of Emmanuel that way, did you? That's specifically how it's used. It is a name for those desperate for God. Let's pray. God with us, but God with us especially when nothing seems to be working. 
God with us when all human advice, when all government options, when everything else that is placed before us by this earth just doesn't work. God with us. Lord, my guess is there's at least a handful, maybe two handfuls and two feetfuls of people just don't have good options. They don't like any of the potential directions that they might take. May they shout, Emmanuel, claiming that your son's presence is with them. He's already saved you from your sins when you put your trust in him. Now he also wants to save you in your disasters. In the holes that we dig so deep, we don't think we'll ever get out. Emmanuel. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.